My friend, I am such a big believer that your mindset is everything. It can really dictate if your life has meaning, has value, and you feel fulfilled, or if you feel exhausted, drained, and like you're never going to be enough. Our brand new book, The Greatness Mindset, just hit the New York Times bestseller back-to-back weeks. And I'm so excited to hear from so many of you who've bought the book, who've read it, and finished it already, and are getting incredible results from the lessons in the book. If you haven't got a copy yet, you'll learn how to build a plan for greatness through powerful exercises and toolkits designed to propel your life forward. This is the book I wish I had when I was 20, struggling, trying to figure out life. 10 years ago, at 30, trying to figure out transitions in my life, and the book I'm glad I have today for myself. Make sure to get a copy at lewishouse.com slash 2023mindset to get your copy today. Again, lewishouse.com slash 2023mindset to get a copy today. Also, the book is on Audible now, so you can get it on audiobook as well. And don't forget to follow the show so you never miss an episode. I don't think we fully recognize the mental health impacts of the way we're eating. When you're eating a diet that is, for example, has lots of sugar in it, you're going to be on an emotional roller coaster. Welcome to the School of Greatness. My name is Lewis Howes, a former pro athlete turned lifestyle entrepreneur. And each week we bring you an inspiring person or message to help you discover how to unlock your inner greatness. Thanks for spending some time with me today. Now let the class begin. Apple Card is the perfect cash back rewards card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA. Salt Lake City branch, subject to credit approval, terms apply. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea. Totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of seventh generation. Find seventh generation laundry detergent in fresh lavender and other scents at seventhgeneration.com. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes. I think nutrition and this idea of wanting to extend our life, our lifespan, living a healthier life, living longer is something that people are taking note of specifically in recent times after just all the different physical ailments, stresses, diseases that people are accumulating in life. And I want to start with a a question that I think anyone could resonate with, which is the worst foods that you think so many people are consuming that they think are healthy, which are actually really, really unhealthy for us physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. 
if you had a list of three to five foods that you think people think are healthy, but actually the research, the studies yeah. are showing it's actually hurting you. Well, yeah, foods? I mean, I think the, the, the least healthy category of foods are what are called ultra-processed foods, yes. uh, sometimes UPFs. Um, these are foods that are heavily processed. Um, the reason they use the word ultra is because lots of healthy foods are processed. Cheese is processed, yogurt mm -hmm. is processed, uh, white flour has been processed. Um, so there's a degree of processing that's just kind of fine. But when you get into ultra-processed foods, uh, whether they, which often carry health claims. I mean, I'll give you an example, the, the Impossible Burger or the Beyond Burger, right? These but super processed though, right? Soup, yeah, like 21 ingredients, uh, some of them never before in the human diet. Really? Um, and they're and they're you know they're sold as plant based, and I would always watch out for that phrase because it it can, it sounds really good. It has an aura of health around it, but how about just plant? Right? <laughs> Why plant based? One ingredient. One plant ingredient. Carrot. Exactly. <laughs> One ingredient food. Yeah, that's Lettuce. a plant based yeah. root. Um, and so. But in fact, it's, it's got these 21 ingredients and lots of novel things and emulsifiers. And, and bonding. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, methyl cellulose is the glue that holds it together. It's, I mean, I like them. I, I have to say they're tasty. They're a pretty good um, synthesis of meat-like experience. But it's an ultra-processed food. And we do know that ultra-processed foods as a category, which now represent more than 60% of the American diet, um, which is astonishing, are bad for us in many ways. And we have really good research suggesting wow. that. And I, I'm not speaking any specific one. There's no research that the Beyond Burger or Impossible Burger is bad for you, but the class that it is a part of is. And so you've got people eating uh, great amounts of this and not even knowing the difference. You know, a frozen pizza versus a real pizza, it looks the same, It's but to make it last as long as it lasts in the in your grocer's freezer you have to add all sorts of chemicals to it Interesting. and uh and and products now the best definition of ultra processed food is it's made with ingredient it it's something you couldn't make at home you don't own methyl cellulose it, yeah. it's not in your you know your pantry um, you don't have emulsifiers you don't have um so and you need a factory to make these foods so if, if you look at the label and you see stuff you don't have in your pantry or a normal person wouldn't have in their pantry, that's an ultra-processed food. Stay okay. away. So I would say that's the big category, the pl the, the plant-based ultra-processed food, because plant-based has this aura about it. Is there, is there you know, meat-based processed foods that are worse than plant-based processed, or does it really not matter? I don't know that it matters. <laughs> I, I don't think it's an important distinction. Gotcha. You know, a lot of the ingredients in processed food, if you look at the label on a Twinkie, you know, they're oh, like, man. I don't know, there are a lot of ingredients. Uh, a very high number of them are derived from a plant, specifically from corn. A lot of the American food system consists of growing huge amounts of corn. And this is commodity corn. This is not corn on the cob. Um, and then using those uh, kernels, breaking them down into its chemical constituents and then putting them back together as processed food. Right. So all that crap is plant-based, technically. That's where it starts. Um, but it's so far removed from a plant as to not be uh, healthy. So, so ultra-processed foods is the number one category. What would be the next category of, of unhealthy foods that seem to be well, healthy? Sugar. I mean, I yeah. think 
You know, one of the things people should pay attention to is how sugar has infiltrated foods that never used to have sugar in them. Like which types of foods? Oh, ketchup, um, tomato sauce, mm. uh, bread. Bread, you know, historically, <laughs> no, it's flour, water, and yeast or a sourdough starter. That's all you need to make bread. What is sugar doing there? Mm. The industry has discovered that if you add sugar to anything, you will sell more of it. It's magic in the marketplace. And we are, you know, hardwired by evolution to like sweetness. Sweetness in nature is a sign of nutritious food, of energy. You know, it's ripe fruit. Um, and so the problem with a lot of the modern food industry is that it takes these, um, you know, inborn qualities we have, like we like we like uh, sweetness. We like fat, yeah. the sensation of fat, because these are, you know, flavor is, is the brain system for making, you know, evaluating nutrition in nature. And mm. it works really well until you learn how to fool it. And that's essentially what food science does. Um, we can make you think you're eating a strawberry when you're eating cardboard. Like a candy um, bar or something. Yeah. Or, yeah. And, and we can think you're eating sugar, drinking sugar when you're drinking a, a, a diet soda. One of the really interesting facts about diet sodas, of, of, of zero calorie soda, is that people don't lose weight. Why is that? Well, one of the theories is that mm. your body experiencing sweetness prepares for sugar, releases insulin, um, and gets all ready, and then doesn't get the sugar. So you crave it and you will get it somewhere else. You'll get it in a piece of white bread or you'll reach for a pastry or something like that. So you end up consuming just as much sugar, just not in that diet soda. So what, you know, what's worse, the diet soda or the regular soda? I would, if you're going to drink soda, and soda, you know, you probably shouldn't drink or, or make a very special occasion right. food. I, I really don't like saying don't eat anything. I think mm -hmm. the key distinction is, is this, is this a daily routine food that you should eat whenever, or is this a special occasion food? I would put soda in the special occasion. Sure. Um, and if you're going to do it then, would you do the diet soda or the regular soda? I would do the regular soda. Why screw around? I mean, <laughs> no, I mean... The, uh, we're, there's a recent study out about erythritol, which is uh, uh, an alcohol that is a, that's very sweet, and that's been, and that's going into a lot of processed foods. And they've just recently found that there are various health problems associated with it. I mean, you know, our body understands sugar, our species understands sugar. Um, let's stick with what we have a long history with, and right. not go with these novelties. So why does our body think we're having something nutritious when we have something sweet, even though it's high fructose corn syrup as opposed to a fruit or a strawberry or you know yeah. a blueberry? Why does it think this is nutritious just because it tastes good? Well, it, because we have this. Uh, I mean, we we inherited this. This it's not a one gene, but a, but a liking for sweetness, just because if you, let's say you're in nature and there's a lot of berries out there and you taste some and one is like really sour or bitter, mm. that's a sign of an alkaloid, which can be a poison. Uh, whereas sweet is usually a sign that it's something safe to eat and will give you some energy. So in the state of nature, our senses are, are very well tuned to the environment and our bodies and can negotiate between the two. Mm. But once you start creating synthetic flavor, uh, we're lost. Our bodies don't know. Right. Now, it's interesting. We're fooling our bodies into thinking they're eating meat with some of these plant-based burgers. And what are the implications of that? What are those? I don't know. 
We haven't we, we haven't studied that yet. So we've studied it with, so we've studied it with, with yeah. diets that are, you know, yeah. artificial sweeteners, I guess, right? Well, there's, a, there's a very interesting study that was done at Yale um, where uh, a scientist looked at the relationship of um, expected sweetness and actual sweetness in, 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 in when the amount of sugar in a drink matched the expectation that we mm-hmm. had, you were better off. And when it was off, either the the, the soda uh, they they did it with a drink. I don't know if it was a soda. If the sweetness was greater than it would be if it were sugar, or less than it would be with sugar, things went wrong and in the body. In the body, yeah. So it's and, almost like match the amount of sugar to the sensation that you have. Yeah. Make sure it's pretty close. Yeah. Uh, if you want your metabolism to work correctly, because wow. we have this very you know highly attuned insulin metabolism and and that's what goes awry when people get overweight um it's just not working right so you know we shouldn't lie to our bodies we shouldn't let our food lie to our bodies don't trick it and say this is really healthy even though it tastes really sweet yeah yeah maybe it's not the right thing yeah so how do we i mean we're so addicted to pleasure sensations it seems like physically Mm -hmm. as human beings how do we learn to intentionally eat for pleasure and also for nutritional value, but not get caught up in eating so much sugar or processed foods that give us this heightened sense of pleasure quickly and easily. Well, you know, I I came up with my seven word mantra when I was trying to figure out how I should eat. Uh, Eat food, by which I mean real food, food that isn't synthetic, that isn't lying to your Mm -hmm. body, uh, that people have been, you know, that people have been eating for a long time, that your grandmother would recognize Mm -hmm. as food. Um, that, uh, you know, contains ingredients that a third grader can pronounce. I mean, I have all these, you know, food rules. And um, uh, and then the second part of the mantra is not too much. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the hard part for people. And mostly plants. And not all plants. I'm, I'm, I don't think meat is bad for you. Um, I think it's perfectly nutritious food. Um, but... The more plants in your diet, the healthier you will be. Um, why? Well, plants have, first of all, we've been eating plants for, you know, 300,000 years. As long as we've been around as a species, it's the main thing we eat. We, get, we would get lucky when we hunted and, you know, or caught uh-huh. animals to eat meat. But the mainstay for most diets has been plants. Plants are full of uh, nutrients that we need, um, phytochemicals of various kinds, antioxidants, the most famous, and they're really important. And um, and you get those, all plants produce antioxidants. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to, to survive. It's how they deal with all the solar radiation they're, they're getting. And that is cancer preventative, does all sorts of things. But the other thing that we're now understanding is so important about plants is that their cell walls we know as fiber. And fiber is essential. Um, we're, we're learning the, the biggest, the two biggest discoveries I think in food are, is this research around ultra processed foods. Mm-hmm. And the other is this research around the microbiome. Yes. And that there are 10 trillion organisms you share your body with. They have the majority actually. Right. <laughs> there are more of them than there are cells of you. And that microbiome turns out to be critical to our health. Um, 10 trillion. 10 trillion microbes in your gut. Microbes in yeah. the gut. Yeah. And they, um, uh, they have such a powerful effect on our health. And they, to be healthy and diverse, because you want a diverse 
a number of species of these uh, microbiomes. What they eat is fiber. They eat plants. They're not interested in other things. They don't deal with sugar. They don't deal. All the, all the kind of immediate gratification processed foods are absorbed in the small intestine very quickly. They're designed for that purpose. Ultra-processed food has little or no fiber. But fiber is what the, these um, microbes need to be healthy. And, and when they're healthy, they're producing lots of um, chemicals, byproducts, some of which, um, you know, are important to mental health, too. I don't think, you know, the link between mm-hmm. the microbiome and your mind has only recently been established, but it has been established. And, for example, most of the serotonin in your body is produced in your gut. Um, and we need that for a whole lot of different reasons. Um, so that's the best argument for eating lots of plants and a variety of plants because there are many different types of fiber and many different types of antioxidants. So the recommendation is you eat 30 different plants a week. 30 different? It's not as hard as it sounds. Really? Coffee is one of them. Okay. Yeah. That's so, one, there you got one plant there. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, there are lots of plants that you're eating without thinking about it. Sure. And, um, um, but if you think about varying your diet, mm-hmm. you know, you had some strawberries or blueberries this morning, you're going to have, there's lettuce on your sandwich at lunch, there's plants in the bread of your sandwich. I mean, right, there, right, it's right, not right. that hard to hit 30, I think. Sure. Uh, unless you're eating a lot of processed food. Right. Now, in terms of the, the story of longevity, living a healthy, longer life. How important is it to have meat in your diet in order to maintain muscle mass and strength as we continue to age? How important is meat I, I, for, for yeah. building muscle? Well, I think protein is important for yeah. building muscle and protein is important for healing. Um, you know, the reason that athletes uh, consume a lot of protein after they've had a big performance is that they're rebuilding yes. muscles that have been torn down. Torn yeah. down, yeah. But you can get protein from plants, mm-hmm. and people overlook the importance of that. You can get it from legumes or beans and uh, tofu and things like that. And uh, it's just harder. You have to You have to put more thought into it. I don't know that meat is necessary for longevity, I don't know that I haven't seen research to that effect. Um, it's a it's a very convenient way of getting a lot of protein, mm-hmm. um, but other things come with it. I guess I guess not for longevity, but building muscle for longevity, so that you have the strength to you know get back off the ground if you fall over when you're older, or you yeah. have well, stronger. But there, we have you know there there we've been reading about and, and hearing from vegan athletes. I mean, mm-hmm. there are some very high performing vegan athletes, right? which kind of gives the lie that you need meat to do this. I just think you have to be, I mean, I've had periods where I've only eaten plants and I did crave protein sometimes. Mm-hmm. And, and so I, you know, added back in fish. Usually. Sure, sure. And um, so I think it depends on you and your metabolism. Some people thrive on an all plant diet and some people simply don't. They right. don't feel they have enough energy. Sure. Um, I felt I had enough energy. I just, something in me needed more protein. Right. And, uh, and I was eating lots of tofu and tempeh but it wasn't and things enough, like huh? that. Apparently not, or my mind didn't think it was enough. Right. So, I, you know, you have to listen to those signals uh, when you get them. But, um, you know, I think if you're interested in, if longevity is your focus, and that's never been my focus, my focus has always been be as healthy as you can for as long as possible and then have a, um, what is the term, um, compress morbidity or something in mm. the shortest possible period of illness before death. That's the key. 
That's what Dr. Sinclair talks about. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I don't know if you're familiar with his work, David Sinclair, but he's... He talked about how his mom suffered like a, I, don't, I can't remember, something like a 10-year unhealthy yeah. death. Yeah, and that's typical in America. And and he was like, I want it to be, you know, I'm I'm sick and I die within a couple of days type yeah. of thing. And yeah. I live a healthy life until I think that's the it's over as opposed to how do I keep myself alive in an unhealthy way yeah. for as long as possible? That's not a and good And we life. have a medical system that's pretty good at that too. But um, so... You know, my focus is chronic disease. I mean, just the kinds of things where people have 40 years of diabetes oh, or something, man. which is not a great way to live it's the second life. half of your life. No. Um, is there a way to reverse diabetes? Type 2 diabetes can be reversed with diet mm -hmm. um, and, uh, and exercise. People really can put themselves on a regime and their numbers will go down and their blood glucose will improve. Um, so... In the case of type two, type one is genetic, and I and I don't know that I think diet's very important to, ma to maintain maintaining yourself, but I don't know that you can reverse it. One of my favorite parts about my job is that I get the opportunity to travel a lot. And in fact, I'm recording this right now while I'm in Mexico. And actually, I was thinking about something that I wanted to share because I get a lot of questions from so many people about different side hustle ideas. So here's one for those of you out there that are on the go a lot like I am or traveling a lot. When you're staying in your Airbnb on your trips, have you ever thought about how you could be making extra money by hosting through Airbnb while your home is vacant? If you're interested in an extra stream of income, Airbnb hosting is an easy place to start and it's like giving your home some company while you're away your home might be worth more than you think find out how much at airbnb.com slash host so listen we all know life is full of yada yada like those quote unquote free trials that somehow still charge your card for something or when companies have those sneaky gotchas hiding deep in the fine print and i know you've dealt with yada yada before like those bills that keep going up and up for no reason at all or when budget airlines promise a cheap fare but then charge you for every little thing until you realize you're paying more than you would have somewhere else and yes it is possible to outsmart yada yada like triple checking airline deals to make sure all you need is all already included, but you don't take yada yada in life. So don't take yada yada from your wireless provider. Metro by T-Mobile has no contracts, no credit checks, no surprises, and nada yada yada. Stop by one of over 6,000 Metro stores nationwide. When you get a new car or a new home, your first reaction might be to say things like, oh yeah, or I can't believe it, or booyah. But what you really want to say is the one thing that can get you the help you need. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. State Farm is there with the coverage you need for your car, your home, and even boats, motorcycles, RVs, and other things that matter to you. With a State Farm agent, you know someone is there to help you choose the coverage you need. With so many coverage options, it feels good knowing you can find what fits for you. And when you need ways to get help, State Farm gives you options there to too, in person or on the phone with your local agent or on statefarm.com where their award-winning app State Farm lets you do things your way. So when you need help protecting the things that matter most, remember to say, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. How do you navigate the pleasure signals in your, in, I guess, your gut or your brain telling you or in, that might tell you, that tells a lot of people, here's a candy bar, here's a cookie, here's a milkshake, I want to eat this now. How have you trained your mind and your gut microbiome to not be tempted and want it and crave it consistently? Yeah. Or is the craving there, but you've just created 
standards and food rules to support yourself in minimizing those temptations? Yeah. I, well, I don't know that I've worked it out completely. I mean, I have my cravings. My, <laughs> if you ask my wife who, who um, you know, if there's a bag of potato chips, she'll finish it if it's open. Um, I am fairly disciplined. And some of it is just being mindful. You know, I've thought a lot about food and nutrition and I have um, uh, researched it in great, you know, so asking yourself a set of questions, you know, am I still hungry or am I just enjoying eating? That's a big one. You know, Americans are socialized. I mean, think about what your mom said to you. She said, are you full when she fed you, right? She didn't say, are you satisfied? That's the right question. Mm. Or are you no longer hungry? Because the moment you're no longer hungry is many bites before you're full. <laughs> right. Just stop eating. Then. Exactly. And so I often will ask myself, so am I still hungry or am I just eating because there's more on the plate? And, um, and then I enjoy the process. And, you know, in, in other countries, um, I talk about this in, in uh, my master class, there, there are sayings um, in Japan, they say harahachibu, which means eat until you're 80% full. That's interesting. Mm. And in the Arab world, they say you should eat till you're three quarters full. In France, uh, the, the, they, they don't say, parents don't say to kids, are you, are you full? They say, do you still have hunger? And so it's a different way of socializing appetite. In America, it's like, are you eat, stuffed? Eat, <laughs> eat until you cannot eat anymore. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> way past hunger. Way past hunger. And there's two more courses to come, so we got to finish them. Yeah. So it's the goal is satisfaction. It's mm. not. It's not making yourself full. How do we? How do we get to satisfaction when people have been training yeah. and conditioning themselves well, for decades? We are up to against eat past. Yes, satisfaction. we are up a powerful industry. I mean, I I can't um, uh, overestimate how important food marketing is. I mean. The, the industry spends like $40 billion getting us to eat more. It's in every commercial, it seems like. Absolutely. It's either drugs or food. Yeah. In every TV commercial. Yeah. I bet you can't eat just one. You know, the old Lay's uh, potato chip commercial. And, and in fact, food scientists talk about craveability as, a, as, a, as a something they're designing into the food. And they can do that. They know how to do that. And... There, you know, we're being manipulated by the food science and the marketing. So it's it's a struggle, because in in other countries, America's somewhat unique in food because we don't have a single old traditional food culture. You know, in most cultures, mm. you would eat the way your parents ate growing up, the way their parents ate growing up, and people knew what food was, what wasn't food. This is what we traditionally eat. In America, since we're you know, a mongrel nation, you know, drawn from so many different cultures, uh, immigrant uh, nation, we don't have a single dominant food culture. And I think that has left us mm. vulnerable to marketing and to fads. And so America will change the way it eats overnight. Um, you know, I, I'm, I remember the, the low fat craze, you know, that was like when I was growing up, you know, fat was the evil nutrient. You shouldn't eat fat. And, um, and then suddenly in 2002, I can I know exactly when it happened. It was like, um, it's not fat that makes you fat. It's sugar that makes you fat, carbs. So then we had the campaign against carbs. And, and overnight in 2002, and it was one article published it in the New York At Times. Was Atkins or was that? It was, well, Atkins was behind it, but it was a writer named Gary Taubes. Huh. 
And it was like, what if it's all a big fat lie? That was, it was a cover good, story in the Times. Good, good time, headline. Good yeah. headline. And suddenly, like uh, donut companies were going out, of, uh, were going out of business, and bread companies were going out of business because everybody was was demonizing carbohydrates. Wow. And and we're still kind of in that world and celebrating protein. Protein now is the is the good nutrient. Carbs are the evil nutrient. Fat is depending on what world you're in. If you're in the keto world, fat's fine. If you're in the right, so you know we're we're crazy about food. We really are confused, um, fashion conscious, fashion driven. And it's no wonder because we're getting these messages. You know, the grocery store is full of foods being sold on the basis of health that aren't healthy. So no wonder we're confused. Um, You know, the food in the supermarket that screams loudest about its virtues is all in the middle aisles. It's all processed food with packages. The healthiest food is the produce section where the food is like sitting there quietly because it doesn't have packages. (laughs) Yeah, by the corner, yeah, there's no packaging. (laughs) It's it's intimidated. You're starting to see some like, I don't know, Apple companies putting a plastic, you know, wrapping in bags and here's some marketing behind this. Yeah, but I mean, the real health claims should go on that stuff. Yes. Um, But of course, you know, they don't, farmers don't have money to to They don't do that. Research the health claims. I'm curious, it's... You know, I don't know the the statistics, but you mentioned about marketing. Would you say forty billion a year? Is that what you said yeah. in the food industry in terms of yeah. marketing and ad spend? And, and to compare that to how much the government spends informing us about health and food, the food pyramid or whatever, my plate, and it's it's the equivalent of a single SKU, a single product from Frito Lay. Um, oh my gosh! And so. The, the message, any kind of health message about food is drowned out by the marketing That's message. crazy. So 40 billion a year on the food industry to market you products that probably 99% aren't actually Not healthy. healthy. Yeah. Um, and that are formulated to scientifically get you hooked. Get you to eat more. And, and play on your dopamine system and, you know, give you those kind of satisfactions. I want this now. And, and people might say, well, you know, your parents cooking for you, they're also trying to get you to eat. Um, but they're not trying to get you to overeat. Yes. Your parents are, are trying to satisfy you with food and the food industry is trying to addict you with food. That's a very different approaches. Where do you think, do you know how much the medical world, the drug industry spends a year in advertising? I don't know that number. I'm curious what that is, but I, I'm curious your thoughts. If there was a, a law that banned all food marketing and all drug marketing. Because <laughs> I believe these food marketing and the drug marketing is making us sicker. Yeah. It's not helping us get to the root of healing uh, intuitively and organically. It's masking, it's putting over and layers confusing, of, and confusing, confusing you. It's, it's telling you you're gonna get healthier, but it's not the case. If there was a ban against all food marketing and all drug marketing on everywhere, TV, yeah. podcast, everywhere, do you think the country would get healthier, or what do you think would happen if there was no marketing for food or drugs? It's a great question. I think we'd be a lot healthier. I think we would. I think culture would step into that gap, and culture has a lot of wisdom about food, and, um, and we don't listen to it nearly enough. Or science would step into the gap, too. With and we, you know, we'd get our scientific information not from pharmaceutical companies as we do now. The other interesting phenomenon, though, is how much of those pharmaceutical products you see advertised on TV are expressly designed to undo the effects of a diet. Right. 
Yeah, and uh, it's a lot of them. Everything for diabetes is about dealing with, type two diabetes is a product of the food system, right? I mean, rates have gone up with obesity um, and that we are spending, so we spend about three quarters of all, all spending in healthcare goes to treat chronic diseases. Of that, how much is some that of it is smoking, food? some of right. it's smoking and alcohol. If you take out alcohol and smoking, how much is related to food? It's something like $500 billion out of $750 billion. Oh my gosh. Um, it's a huge number. But how much is, of chronic disease is related to food and nutrition? Most of it. Most of it. Versus smoking or drugs or alcohol. Yeah, most, so most of it. 80, 90%. Food, no, the, the American diet, the standard American diet is what is killing most of us. That is what most people die of. Um, and, and I'm talking about several types of cancer that are linked to it. Heart disease, obviously linked to diet. And diabetes, which has become a really big killer. It is, it is the way we're eating that is doing this to us. Mm. And that we could save a fortune by changing the way we eat in, in healthcare spending. Um, and no doubt we could improve longevity as well. It's, it, it's the elephant in the room is the American food system. And we all take it to be as like normal and, and the food still looks the same. Pizza looks like pizza and you know, these, you know, convenient frozen dishes in the, in the grocer's freezer, but it's not the same that, that, you know, that packaged ravioli or tomato sauce is not what those things were or should be. Right. So um, in a way, it's the, an easy fix and it's a hard fix. I remember I was speaking, I was giving a speech to a group of health insurance executives um, and I was trying to enlist <laughs> their support for reform of the food system, which is one of my causes. And, they don't want that though. Well, Why well would the reason it was very interesting and I was saying, you know, you guys should be allies of the, of the food reform movement because every case of type two diabetes you prevent is $400,000 to your bottom line. That's how much it costs to treat each case over the life of that person. $400,000. $400,000 for Holy something God. that can be completely prevented. And one of the presidents of these organizations came up to me after and says, you don't understand. We don't have a long-term interest in your health because the churn. Oh my gosh. <laughs> because the churn, because medical uh, contracts for medical insurance are only one year. And people are constantly switching plans and companies are constantly switching plans. So we don't, you know, you're talking about something that is going to benefit you over years. And we don't care about that. Um, and I realized there, there's a simple fix. How about five-year contracts for health insurance? Mm. That would completely change the, the, um, the incentives for the insurance company, and they would start talking to us about prevention. Interesting, because they, they benefit when we are sick. Well, I don't know that they benefit, but they don't benefit when we, when we prevent. Uh, when we're super healthy. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so they're not invested in preventive medicine. And, and that wow, and, and the drug companies aren't. Oh, they they, they benefit make, enormously when from we're chronic sick. disease. Sure, that's the only way they make money. Yeah, Ozempic. I mean, right? Everybody's on taking Ozempic for diabetes and weight loss now. How much money are these drug companies making? I don't have any figures. It's no. a, it's a huge industry. Huge. And um, and you know their business model too is some drug you have to take every day of the rest of your life. And um, but that doesn't cure the illness. No, they're, they're not cures for the illness. They're just dealing with the symptoms. And that's true for mental health drugs, too. Yeah. SSRIs don't cure depression. I mean, they, they you know, tamp down symptoms when they work.
What is the greatest cure for depression without, without any drugs? I would say exercise. It's huge. And eating real food. I think you do those two things. Now, it's not going to work for everybody. Some people have depression caused by trauma and, and um, you know, all sorts of different factors. But those two things can make a huge difference. I don't think we fully recognize the mental health impacts of the way we're eating. When you're eating a diet that is, for example, has lots of sugar in it, you're going to be on an emotional roller coaster. I mean, watch kids with sugar, you know, and um, they think that chocolate or this kind of sweetened cereal makes them happy. And it does for a little while, but they crash. And then chaos. (laughs) And that's true for us too. We have these ups and downs during the day that have a lot to do with, um, with our sugar, you know, intake. And, um, and then when we, you know, we, we get this spike and it has to do with glucose release and things like that. And then we crash. And the solution to that is more, more sugar. So, Snacking is another thing too. We're, you know, meals, meals are like a really good human institution. (laughs) Snacking, you know, we're eating, you know, all day long. How bad is snacking for our, our, our gut microbiome, for our brain and for our overall just metabolism? If we're eating meals and then snacking a little bit here and there in between. I mean, I don't think snacking is like evil or anything. And I think a lot depends on what you have. Um, uh, I snack. I'm a writer. So, you know, I'm at my desk. I'm supposed to get up. That's the other, that's the competing value, right? You should stand every half hour yeah, and move a little bit. Yeah. And where do you go? You go to the, you go to the kitchen and have a little, and you, you heat up your coffee or pour a cup of tea. And then you have, you know, I'll have, some, some nuts or something. I'll have a handful <laughs> of nuts or dried fruit. Yeah, definitely. And I'm not like Obama. I don't count my almonds as he allegedly did. Uh-huh. <laughs> so, um, so I, I think snacking, you kind of lose, you lose sight of how much you're eating. Um, it just becomes kind of invisible. Um, so, I mean, I think it's something that people have to be careful about. But I, I, don't, I don't believe in being punitive uh, mm. about it. But I think eating meals with other people, you know, we're talking about food as if it's this transaction between us and this stuff. But meals, eating with other people affects how you eat. You, you know, when you're eating with other people, you put down the fork and talk and then you pick it up and there's more time. And the more time you spend eating, the more likely you are to know when you're full. Mm. It takes 20 minutes for the body to send you the news like, enough, we're 20 full. Minutes. 20 minutes. So if you're eating really fast, you're defeating that signal. And so you're eating too much. But if you have a leisurely meal, you're much more likely to to realize, you know, I think I've had enough. It's interesting because I was just having a a breakfast meeting this morning and it probably went for about an hour and a half, right? It was a great meeting and meal because I noticed that I did not finish my plate. Mm. I had engaged. I was engaged. I was talking and then I'd eat a little bit when they were talking, you know, and, and have a few bites. And then I would you know, have my fork here with food and be like talking to them and just like, okay, let me listen, engage. And it got to the point, and I didn't have a lot. I had two eggs, scrambled eggs. I had a couple pieces of bacon and I had some, you know, potatoes, kind of the standard mm-hmm. breakfast. breakfast. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? Um, and, I, and I was eating the potatoes and I was like, huh, okay, I'm getting pretty full. And I just left the last potato. And I was just like, let me just experiment. <laughs> I left it on the table and I could have eaten it easily. Yeah. But I left it because I was like, I actually feel pretty satisfied. Well, that clean plate ethic is really bad. <laughs> I mean, why? I mean, when you're done eating, 
It's okay if you leave something on the plate. And in fact, it's a good practice. Just make a point. I'm not going to eat the last thing on my plate. Just really? As, a, as an exercise. Now, what if yeah. you're like, well, I don't want to waste food. Well, yeah, I know. And that's what we were brought up. People are starving in Korea or whatever. Yeah, yeah. You know, the thing you heard from your parents. So and you can it's not going to help them if you leave a potato. Maybe you should take less at the beginning or maybe, right. por- you know, portion size is a huge problem. Huge. Don't we, get the appetizers. Don't get the desserts. You know, have- We tend to think that the amount of food put in front of us is the proper amount to eat. It's usually probably double what we're supposed yeah, to eat. And, and for food, for restaurants, they've learned that um, we appreciate ampleness and the cost of the food is one of their lowest costs. And so they give us portions that are too big and we, we compliment a restaurant for having big portions. Um, you feel like you're getting more for your value. Yeah, you feel, you feel you're getting good value. And, uh, and the economics definitely work for the restaurants, but uh, it doesn't work for us. Um, so we end up, big portions are definitely part of, part of our problem. So you mentioned before, you know, two great ways to minimize or decrease depression for a human being is healthy nutrition and exercise. exercise yeah. Those two things. Yeah. If someone is getting free, some sunlight is really good too. sunlight, probably, know? probably quality sleep as well. Really oh helps yeah. You. I mean, it, People who are depressed often have trouble sleeping. But one of the ways to fix your circadian rhythms is make sure every morning you, you look at the sun. You go yeah. outside. Even if it's cloudy, just look at where it should be. And that, that, that information comes through your eyes to your brain and kind of sets your clock, and it will improve your sleep. Yeah, Dr. Andrew Huberman has done a lot of research on yeah, that and, and, and preaches it almost every day yeah. about the research. That and, and breathing, post- yeah. He says that's the number, his number one health tip is get outside and look at the sun. First thing in the morning, yeah. right? Yeah. Not when it's already up and you no, can't look I mean, at it. And it's okay blind. if you didn't get up at dawn, but, you know, before midday. Yeah, get up for 10, 15 minutes and look yeah. towards the sun, right? Just allow your eyes to gaze towards it. And you'll be getting outside and you'll be getting some vitamin D. Some nature. we spend way too much time inside. Yeah. Being, being outside is, you know, I mean, exercising outside, I think, is better for us than inside. What do you think is the root cause of depression? Why someone could get depressed or chronic depression? Because we all go through sadness and grief sure. and loss and heartache and, you know, relationships and deaths and, you know, career ending, things like that, where there might be a, a a well, season sometimes, of sadness, yeah, but the chronic depression, what is the root cause of that? I don't think we know. Uh, you know, there are people looking for mm-hmm. genes implicated in depression. They have not had success finding them. Um, there is depression caused by events. People with a cancer diagnosis get depressed. We understand exactly why. Mm-hmm. And if they're healed or cured, their depression might lift. But then you have other people, and I've interviewed them in my, in my research on psychedelics, who've been depressed for 30 years without a break. And I don't think we really understand that. It's exhausting um, on the nervous system. Yeah, it on takes the brain, a toll. on the heart, oh, on your every the, system, every system. Um, but I don't think we have a, a real understanding of what's going on. I mean, one of the things I've learned about mental health is that uh, there's a lot we don't understand. Um, we don't even know if depression, anxiety, addiction, and say OCD are separate diseases mm. or are they four different symptoms of the same underlying disease which is to say a mind that is too rigidly you know bound up and stuck in patterns of rumination they're all characterized by rigidity and uh, strong habits a controlling thought. nature almost right it yeah, doesn't have the a, flexible- an attempt to control nature yeah. by re- and, and they're also characterized by these destructive narratives that people tell about yeah. themselves so 
you know, they're, they're in the DSM, you know, the, the, the Bible of diagnoses, they're listed as separate things. But I've talked to psychiatrists who it's say, no, they may, they may all be the same. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea. Totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Thing. Uh, Susan David talks about uh, emotional agility, having mm -hmm. the ability to, you know, be flexible with our emotions um, and not be so rigid. Habits, and yeah, them. habits get us into trouble with with food, certainly, and with um, our mental health. And habits are really valuable. I mean, they can organize your life. They can save you from having to run, you know, run the algorithm every time a new situation comes up. It's like, okay. This is a conversation with my boss. This is the kind of thing that works. You know, you have a habit. But they also are straitjackets. Yes. And, and the older we get, the harder it is to break habits. And, and that's one of the um, really interesting things about psychedelic medicine. I'm not talking about psychedelics used recreationally, but when they're used in a therapeutic context, people seem to be able to break habits of thought and behavior. Interesting. And that's really powerful. And that allows you to start taking different consistent actions, which yeah. get you different emotional results. Exactly. And you, you can basically lay down the, you know, the pathways of new habits, mm -hmm. um, which, you know, becomes more and more important as we age. Have you ever felt extreme depression in your life? I have had periods. I don't know that they were extreme, um, but I've definitely had periods uh, that I can remember where I was depressed or anxious. I had periods when, as a teenager, I was a very anxious teenager, um, and then experienced some depression in my, I would say in my 20s, um, and not so much since then. And I do Why do you think you have a pretty, you know, harmonious emotional environment internally? Um, well, you're, you know, you're assuming that's the case, but thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you're not in depressed states, then yeah, you have to I'm, be at least neutral. I'm or... definitely not in depressed states, and I'm definitely not in an anxious state. And I think a lot of it owes to the fact that I'm mindful about my health, which means exercise. And, I mean, I do a couple things. I have a whole regime. Um, so I eat real food, not too much, mostly plants. I struggle with the not too much because I love to eat. Um, but if you're eating real food... It's less of an issue, you know, yeah. overeating, you know, a vegetable stir fry is not going to get you in trouble the way overeating a pizza is. Yeah, or a um, whole cake or something. Yeah, so, it's and I don't have a big sweet tooth, luckily. That's not, that helps. I wish I had that disease. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't crave dessert, and uh, and I often, I rarely do have That's dessert. That's a gift. Yeah. Okay, so, so eat real so food. So food, eating real food, exercising at least 30 minutes a day, 
Um, and I do aerobic exercise and I do, you know, floor and weight work. Um, I mean, it's amazing the benefits of moving 30 minutes a day on how much more joy, uh, excited, excited you can be, how much more peaceful, how much more gratifying. It just makes you feel better. So if you don't feel good, move. Yeah. It's so important. There was a study that came out just a couple of weeks ago that said 11 minutes of walking will improve your um, your longevity and um, and improve your health in general. Mm. 11 minutes. Um, so it doesn't have to be a lot. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to be running. You can be walking. Um, so, so exercise. Um, Eat real food. food. Yep. And, and the last thing is I, I meditate. Um, and I meditate about 25 minutes a day, uh, preceded by some breathing exercises. And, um, you know, that's stress reduction. Um, you know, the other thing people don't talk about, and it's very hard to quantify, is social connection. Huge. And loneliness. The Surgeon General, Vivek Murphy, has really made this his, um, his cause. He wrote a really good book on loneliness. Um, and that people without social connection... Or, or who are mediating their social connection through social media, which isn't the same thing. Not, you're not connected. <laughs> you're not really connected. It's, it's, you have faux friends. You yes. have faux connection. Um, but th- that's really important. And having some sort of uh, social group that supports you in some ways. And um, uh, so those four things, I think, are, are mm. so important. Um, so, so cultivating your friendships is, is it's really, huge. It's How huge. many people have you studied or worked with who have been in emotionally depressed states that started doing these four things, essentially, the three things plus deepening their intimate relationships, saw improvement? Oh, many, many people. I mean, I've seen this over and over again. I don't, you know, I'm not a scientist, so I haven't researched it and obviously haven't done a control. Um, But I've seen it in my friends. Um, I've seen it in um, relatives. Uh, It's... It can do a lot for people. Mm-hmm. And by the way, it we have evidence that the regime I'm just describing um, has very positive effects on people's cardiovascular health. Dean Ornish has done a lot of research using that, pretty much that regime, um, those four things, uh, although he insists on a, a, a totally plant-based diet. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it should be substantially plant-based. And, um, and he has also done that with men with prostate cancer and has found prostate cancer is a very interesting case because many people are not treated for it since, you know, it doesn't, it's, it's often doesn't advance. So it's one of the rare cancers that people live with for years and can be studied while they're being surveilled for it. So we can look at lifestyle interventions and see if they make a difference. So UCSF uh, um, put uh, several thousand men on this regime with a control to see if it would have an effect. And indeed, it slowed the progression of their disease and lowered their PSA scores, uh, which is a marker of uh, prostate cancer. Wow. So, um, and Dean Ornish is now trialing this with a group of people just diagnosed with Alzheimer's to see if it has an effect on the progression of their disease. So with with eating real food, exercise and meditation or yeah, with, some uh, kind of it doesn't have to be meditation, some kind of stress reduction. It could be yoga. Yeah. Um, breath work. Breath work. Yeah. It's all those techniques we have to uh, to essentially lower stress. Wow. I think um, I, I love this prescription, you know, this organic 
uh, intuitive prescription. It's that too you bad have. doctors don't talk about it more, <laughs> right? too. Yeah. And I think the the other elephant in the room that we you know kind of hit on a little bit is the trauma, you know, because I think you can eat well, you can exercise, you can meditate, you can have social connections, but if there's still trauma stored in our memories or in our body, in our bodies, yeah. um, it can take us farther, but not, but it can still we can still be pulled back into the trauma. And I think because I did all these things for many years, mm-hmm. but I still hadn't faced certain traumatic memories, I hadn't created new meaning from those memories. I hadn't processed them. I hadn't fully addressed them. I I didn't fully unpack and talk about them and have catharsis Mm -hmm. and and Mm -hmm. emote in those feelings and grieve and go through the wide range of emotions of traumatic moments in my life. How did you end up doing that? I did that in the last couple of years. It's been a 10-year journey of healing traumatic experiences. 10 Mm -hmm. years ago, I opened up about being sexually abused as a kid Mm -hmm. when I was five. It's one of my first memories, actually. And for most of my life, that emotional and psychological wound was a memory playing in my mind almost daily. You know, it just kind of come up, and I would just push it away and work really hard. So I used... So it was present. It wasn't a suppressed it was constantly trauma. present, it was present. Wow. but I would try to run away from it. I'd try to outwork it. I would mm-hmm. try to, you know, be a workaholic in sports and achieve and succeed to validate I'm worthy, lovable, and enough. Yeah. But it wasn't until I hit 30 when I had lots of breakdowns in my life mm-hmm. that I realized I had never addressed it or told anyone. And so I went down a process, and I've talked about this many times on my show and, and publicly, but I went down a process of facing the trauma, you know. With the help of therapists? I did it, I did it in an emotional intelligence workshop initially, so kind of a safer environment in a group setting, and then worked with therapists to unpack it more and process that healing. And then I ended up writing about it in a previous book on the mask of masculinity I talked about, where I feel like a lot of men suffer from trauma that they never express, they never talk about it in a healthy way. And so I was able to unpack that, but then there were more things over the last 10 years that I needed to face that I was unwilling to, or I thought maybe I'd done all the work. In the last couple of years, it was really kind of healing the pain in my heart in other ways mm-hmm. through emotional coaching sessions, but very intense, you know, three to five hour sessions on every Saturday for months wow. because I wanted peace and freedom in my heart. Again, I ate well, I exercised well, I'm healthy. Yeah. But emotionally, psychologically, spiritually, there was wounds that I hadn't yet mended. Mm-hmm. I hadn't yet healed and created new meaning, as Victor right. Frankl talks about. Yeah. It's creating that meaning behind these traumatic events. Mm-hmm. And I think the healing of the trauma, for me, has brought me so much peace, psychologically, emotionally, and spiritually, yeah. and physically. There was physical pain in my chest, in my throat, that would come and go, that now I haven't felt in almost two years. Uh. How and, great. and for most of my life, you know, 38 years, I felt pain, yeah. palpitations off and on, depending on life's circumstances. Yeah. And now with some of the most chaotic events in life, a book launch, yeah. moving into a new home, buying mm-hmm. a home, uh, you know, I just turned 40, like all these kind of like events, life events, I feel peaceful. And the only way that I could attribute Now, it doesn't mean I don't have moments of stress and overwhelm, but the way I feel peaceful is because I've been doing so much of the healing trauma work, but been willing to say, 
I'll do anything. I'll, I'll try, I'll say anything, I'll try things, whatever type of emotional experiences you want me to go through, healing the inner child wound, you know, having spiritual experiences with my five-year-old self, my 12-year-old mm-hmm. self, 16, mm-hmm. whatever it is, having those conversations, I've been doing that. And that has given me a sense of peace and freedom that I've never felt in my life. And that's why I was interested about, you know, psychedelics and the topic of psychedelics because I have lots of friends who I swear by it. Mm-hmm. I've been in ceremonies. I've sat in ceremonies and watched people. I've seen everything been passed around. I've seen people like go, you know, hallucinate. I've seen people throwing up. I've seen people crying. I've seen people releasing. I've seen yeah. these things. And I've been curious about them, but I've always been weary of recommending or suggesting these things because I've, one, never done it. Mm-hmm. And I don't want to recommend something, but I'm also curious about the long-term potential side effects of an out an external drug putting into the body and how that affects the brain, mm-hmm. the heart, the emotions, and all these different things. And I love your example of having these breakthrough moments for people to change their habits, which I think is necessary yeah. for healing and shifting our behavior. And my thought is, is there a way to do that emotionally, spiritually, and psychologically and try everything else first before doing psychedelics? Mm-hmm. Or should people go right into a therapeutic psychedelics without trying all the other types of therapeutic experiences first? Well, I don't think there's a, it's a one-size-fits-all. I mean, yeah. different... for. You know, it takes a lot of courage to do what you did. Yeah. And it was painful and scary and... Yeah. You feel like you're going to die. Yeah. Emotionally. And so some people are not going to be able to do that. Um, they're not going to have the uh, commitment um, or, the, or fear is going to get in the way of doing it. Um, I've been researching psychedelic therapy since 2014. Um, I, too, had never used psychedelics and was really afraid of them. Uh, I had a series of experiences for my books on psychedelics, um, How to Change Your Mind and then This is Your Mind on Plants. Um, the night before every one of those experiences, I was terrified. Oh, I was up all night. I was, <laughs> you know, because, you know, you, you, the self, the inner self is a really scary place to go. Yes. Right? Terrifying. And, yeah. And, <laughs> There's and a darkness in there. And you're opening a door and you don't know what's going to be on the other no, side of that door. It's terrifying. Um, I found in the event that they were powerful and really interesting experiences. And I have not yet on psychedelics had the experience of, of, um, I've had some dark experiences and kind of wrestling matches with certain things, but I haven't had the experience some people do, which is a a trauma that they were not aware of comes up. up. Yeah. And that can be really destabilizing if you're not being held in a therapeutic relationship. In other words, if you're not with a facilitator or guide who can help you, it can be incredibly productive when it comes up because now you know, oh, there's the problem. Let's deal with it. Yeah, you're aware. But if you don't have an ongoing integrative therapeutic process afterwards, you could downward spiral. You could. And it's really important, I think, to if people are going to explore psychedelics to deal with their mental difficulties, that they do it with somebody who Mm -hmm. is well-trained. Yes. And... um, in the specific case of trauma, which I think is much more widespread in our society than we realize. Because um, there's big T's and little T trauma. There's, oh yeah. you know, there's traumatic events, and then there's just the 
feeling of abandonment by your parents, like yeah, a little, you had an alcoholic parent, yeah. and you know that's you can't point to one event, but it's they weren't an they weren't abusing you, but it was an abusive experience. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So, what has proven most effective is MDMA mm-hmm. uh, in the treatment of trauma. And Which, what does that stand for again? Uh, I, I don't know. <laughs> right, right, right. Sorry. That's a, that's a short... <laughs> I should know that. Um, but it's also known as ecstasy or molly. That's the mm-hmm. street name. But it's it's MDMA. It's a drug that's been around since the 30s. People don't realize it was used in psychotherapy in the 70s and early 80s until it was banned in 1985. And that's when it became a very popular rave drug. And the DEA just cracked down on it and mm. said, we're not going to... But it was, you know, it was being used effectively in therapy. Um, there are now two phase three studies, that's the last phase before approval, showing that about two thirds of the people who have been diagnosed with PTSD, um, post-traumatic stress disorder, who have guided MDMA trips, usually two, um, lose that diagnosis. In other words, they don't qualify for a diagnosis of PTSD anymore. That's an astonishing result, mm, two-thirds. Right. Um, so that, I think, is going to be a powerful tool. And I, it is right. going to be approved by the FDA in the next couple of years. Um, some people say next year wow. uh, because the data is in and the data is very strong. So that's an encouraging thing mm-hmm. um, because the kind of, you know, we have soldiers who have been traumatized. Yes. We have women who have been traumatized by sexual abuse. Um, we have racial trauma in this country. And um, we may have a powerful new tool to treat it. Um, on, the, on the risk of taking in these foreign substances. Right. And how that affects the brain chemistry and, yeah. you know, long-term effects. I don't think people realize this, but most drugs have what's called an LD50, the, the, the amount of the drug you take where 50% of the rats or whatever it is die. The lethal dose, okay? LD stands for lethal dose. Wow. There is no lethal dose of psilocybin or LSD okay. or DMT. That's astonishing. So you can't... You can't overdose. Over, you now can't overdose. You can get crazy. You can't die. You can't die. Well, maybe um, you could... I mean, who knows? Maybe, maybe there's a certain to, amount you just well, take. Your brain just... There is one, one reported case of... And this is a horrible story of shooting up an elephant with LSD with huge amounts of LSD. Oh, man. And it died. Uh-huh. Um, but it also had received huge amounts of a, of a, a tranquilizer. So it's not right, really right. useful information. But there's a lot of safety data on these drugs. And I don't think people know or realize that there are over-the-counter drugs that, have, um, that can be lethal. That it, it's only about 17 or 20 pills of Tylenol and you can kill yourself. Wow. Okay? The equivalent amount of LSD is not going to do that. So brain toxicity, you know, unless we're missing something and it's going to take, you know, but people have been using LSD for a long time. They've been using um, ayahuasca, which has DMT in it, and they've been using psilocybin for thousands of years. Um, But just because they've been doing it for thousands of years, does that mean it's good for the brain and your emotional state long term? Yeah. Well, no. Um, But I think that if it were, you know, having consistent patterns of damage right. of some kind, we would have sure. we would have picked it up. Sure. MDMA is a little more toxic. Um, but the thing to understand about psychedelic therapy is like, I mean, we should be asking the same questions of SSRIs and all the antipsychotic drugs. Mm. Um, 100%. All which drugs. people take every day. Now, 
I have friends who have been, you know, doing shrooms and ayahuasca and all these different things for years. And some of them swear by it. They mm -hmm. say like, this is the answer, this is helpful, this is like giving me clarity, it's showing me visions, it's helping me like face traumas, things like that. Which I'm all for those things. Mm -hmm. But my, my curiosity comes in when someone needs to do these things over and over and over again, as opposed to, okay, I've got the awareness, which yeah. is what I need. It's pulling out the, the stuff from the past that I wasn't even aware of or the things that I needed to face. Now I've had these moments of clarity, darkness, visioning, all these different things that allowed me to open my heart, express these things, release. I'm all for that. It's when people need to do it over and over again, every month or every six months, and go back to like some yeah. you know, psychedelic retreat, which gets me wondering why. Yeah. Why do you need to continue to do it every six months, every year, consistently, when you've started to face it? Is there other emotional or psychological therapies they can do to process and integrate healing without external chemicals entering the body and the brain? Right. Right. That's my thoughts. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I mean, there are people who, I mean, it depends on why people are using it. Okay. Mm -hmm. You talk about healing and that should be have an arc, right? Yes. And you, you know, you get the message and then you hang up the phone as Ron Doss <laughs> or somebody like that said when he stopped using psychedelics. And then there are other people who get into, I mean, you could call it a habit. Um, they don't use them every day. They don't use them every week. They're, the experiences, you don't feel like using it again. I mean, when you have a big psychedelic experience, your first thought, this isn't like using a drug like cocaine or something. Your first thought is not, where can I get some more? Your first thought is, do I ever have to do this again? Because mm. it's really hard work. It's intense. But there are people who have a regular journey. And sometimes there are people who are using psychedelics not for healing, but for, say, spiritual development sure. and, and spiritual exploration. Um, and I, I, I think that's legit, too. Mm -hmm. I really do. Um, you know, I, I would be nervous about somebody who is using psychedelics every month and wondering why. Is, is there something missing from their lives that they should be attending to? Is right. that becoming its own problem? Interesting. Um, but... They're, you know, they're very strange substances. They, they, have, they can have many different identities depending on the context in which they're used. So, you know, there is a, there is a powerful religious context for most mm -hmm. of history. That's how they were used. They were sacraments. They were used to uh, be in touch with the divine. Um, and that's very different than the healing context. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh-generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent in fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. Whether you're making the same breakfast that you have every day or baking a cake for an extra special day, eggs are a staple in our diets. Eggland's best eggs are nutritionally superior to ordinary eggs, containing more vitamins and 25% less saturated fat. Not only are they better for you, but Eggland's best eggs taste better too. There's a reason that they're America's number one eggs. Visit egglandsbest.com for additional information and delicious recipes text. And then there are people who take them just for thrills. And, you know, that seems to me, you know, the least 
interesting, but we use this word recreational use of a drug. What's wrong with recreation? Why did that get such a negative connotation? Uh, so um, I, I still don't think it's, you know, I'm trying not to judge because I'm, I'm, I'm trying to see what is most beneficial to our health. Yeah. And so if there's massive benefits to our immediate and long-term health, then I'm all open to exploring that. And I think it's too too soon to say. And that's the thing. I grew up, I grew up rarely taking any drugs, mm -hmm. you know. Um, and the belief was the mind, we have the power to heal ourselves with our, our thoughts, our mind, and the, the body's pharmacy has healing, so many healing components. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure you, as a meditator, you've gone through some yeah. beautiful visioning and some beautiful spiritual experiences by closing your eyes, meditating, and breathing intently as well. And so my thought is, are there ways to do this without recreational drugs, therapeutic drugs, you know, drugs in general to heal versus doing it from inside out? Yeah, so there are. I mean, you know, I mean, there's an interesting question whether a drug produced by the body, like endorphins after uh -huh. you exercise, is, you know, superior to a drug that comes from outside. Uh -huh. Aldous Huxley wrote about this in Doors of Perception. They're all chemical events, right? Yes. Whatever's happening. So endogenous versus exogenous chemicals, how significant is that? Um, but there are other ways to get there. I mean, meditators, really experienced meditators, get into a psychedelic state. There are breathing exercises. Some, there's something called holotropic breath work, which is a, a form of a breathing based on yogic techniques that I, I've done it and will give you a psychedelic experience. Um, not everybody, but, but a high percentage of people. It's kind of uncanny mm -hmm. how, how this works. You are doing something to your blood chemistry, though, when you hyperventilate. That's what's happening. Yes. I think you're, yeah. uh, either the acidity or alkalinity is uh -huh. increasing as you reduce the carbon dioxide. I don't know the, I don't right. know the physiology of it. Um, fasting can get you there. Right. Um, isolation tanks for some people um, yeah. can get you there. Dark spaces, like Yeah, yeah. if you remove all sensory input. Uh, people who mm -hmm. go on vision quests and, you know, they're alone in nature for a long time um, and, and they're not eating, um, they will have psychedelic experiences. So, right. you know, we're wired for these experiences um, and there are other ways to get there and psychedelics is one way. Um, but I would... You know, I would press against this idea of, you know, toxicity, though, because there's not a lot of evidence or addictive potential. Um, they're, 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 they've been shown not to be addictive. There are absolute risks. People at any risk for schizophrenia or personality disorders are not allowed in the, in the, in the current drug trials. Um, and people can have terrifying experiences. And what happens if you have a, you know, maybe you're not... <sighs> Maybe you haven't been um, clinically diagnosed as bipolar, but you might have some bipolar tendencies. Yeah. Or maybe you're not diagnosed as narcissistic, but you have narcissistic tendencies or, you know, extreme mood swings or depressive states. People like that, could it get them off the track? It so could. Say? It could. People have had psychotic breaks on LSD trips. I mean, we saw that in the 60s. 
Um, there were, you know, admissions to psychiatric, you know, hospitals and things. And it's, it's but, really hard to come back from that, right? Yeah, it, although there's some debate over whether these are people who would have eventually had a break. Mm. And that, you know, it's not like incidents of schizophrenia went up when people started using LSD. Right. Any kind of mental shock can, can put people over. And, right. and LSD is, is a big shock to the system. Sure. So that can definitely happen. And, you know, look, people should approach this with great care. It's very consequential. It's momentous to decide, I'm going to have a high-dose psychedelic experience. You should, you should be with someone who knows the territory, who can prepare you properly. Scary things can happen, but if you know how to deal with it, you can navigate those things. Yeah. And, and often the results at the end are make it worth it. Wow. Um, so, you know, I, I'm loath to recommend anybody do anything, but I also think that people should know how many people are being healed by this. Mm. And that um, the, the, the thing we have to keep in mind is that mental health treatment is just not very good in this country. <laughs> right, right. You know, I mean, you know, even with, I mean, the access issues and insurance and all that, there's that problem. But the problem is, and, and I've heard this from psychiatrists who I've interviewed, it's like, they'll tell you, we don't have very good tools. If you compare mental health treatment to any other branch of medicine, oncology, cardiology, infectious disease, they have all prolonged human life and relieved lots of suffering in the last 50 years. Yeah. You can't say that about mental health treatment. We're kind of where we were. We have SSRIs, which we throw out everything. What are those? What are those um, there's SSRIs. selective serotonin reuptake inhibitors, uh, antidepressants, yeah. Paxil. But those antidepressants, how do they have any benefit? Because <laughs> I feel like people who are on antidepressants Marginal. don't have like it doesn't actually work, or maybe it's like they feel for a few weeks or a month like some benefit, but then it's like you're still depressed. Well, it gets people out of crises very often if someone's, you know, having a suicidal crisis. Uh. Um, but the evidence on, they don't work very well. I mean, there's some people they help. They're, um, when they were approved in the early 80s, late 70s, they did two percentage points better than placebo. I mean, trivial benefit. So, but we didn't have anything else. So and, it's something. And they got hyped by the industry. But it's not a healing. It's the not root healing. cause. It doesn't. It doesn't affect the root cause. So it's it's minimizing. It's some lowering of the symptoms for some people, not for everybody. But over time, the effect goes down. And then you need more and more. You need some other. Or drug. you or you switch to another one. The other problems with it is that it it decreases your libido. It you put on weight. And they're very hard to get off. They're addictive in effect. Um, so, so if you want to talk about toxicity to the body, I mean, that's a bigger issue than LSD or psilocybin. Sure. What would you? recommend or suggest before people get on some type of antidepressant that they try on, that they experiment with, that they apply for, you know, a 30 day window before I say, okay, I'm just going to jump into. Well, that regime we talked about, you know, uh, eat real food, get half hour of exercise a day, uh, some sort of stress reduction technique, um, sunlight, Mm. um, and, uh, and social, social connection. Yeah. And, and the problem with people who are depressed is they tend to lose their social connections. They don't have their connections. Yeah. They're, they're they often lonely. lonely. Yeah. 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 But I would, I, I think that's the first line of defense. And, and, you know, right now it's important to understand too that even though psilocybin is being, um, trialed, doing drug trials for depression, it hasn't been approved yet. So it's still illegal. Right. And that's something you have to take into account. Gotcha. Um, you have to work with someone underground, uh, and that has its own set of risks. Sure. 
you know, speaking of people feeling lonely, people, it seems like there's more social anxiety and loneliness than ever, even though they're more connected or seemingly false connected with social media. What would you suggest for people to overcome the feeling of loneliness? Well, it takes us back to food, meals, Mm. (laughs) the institution of meals. Mm. Eat with other people. Don't eat alone. Find somebody, invite someone out to have a meal with or cook and invite people into your home. So much happens at the table that isn't about fueling your body. And um, Mm -hmm. uh, that there's a kind of connection that happens when we eat together that's really wonderful. It's deeper than a lot of other connections we have, you know. And um, when we share something, when we share food out of the same common, you know, dish, we're connecting. That's a connection. Um, Sharing food is a very powerful bond between people. It has been for like thousands of years. Um, And we, you know, we learn things about other people. We, you know, why do world leaders always have banquets, right? Mm. It's because... Going back a thousand years, it's a time where, you know, you don't shoot someone over a banquet table. <laughs> you know, right. you put down your arms and you pick up your fork and knife. You connect. Yeah. You connect. And um, there, I, I just think the meal is one of the great institutions. And it, and it helps us deal not only with healthier eating, because you're not going to eat junk food. You're not going to eat a microwavable food in front of someone else. You're going to cook something or order in and eat the same thing. And um, that sharing puts us on the same mental wavelength. It's almost like in training ourselves to someone else, that we're eating the same thing together. Mm. And um, so I think putting yourself, you know, way too many of us eat alone now. And I think it's really destructive to eat alone. When you eat alone, you eat mindlessly. You're in front of the TV or you're reading something and um, you're... uh, You just don't know what you're doing. I mean, think about, you know, you're in front of the TV with a bag of potato chips. Like, you don't even realize you've eaten a bag. Um, It's just so mindless. Also, manners automatically helps people control their appetites. People don't want to act like pigs at a table. (laughs) Yeah. Whereas when you eat alone, you do act like a pig. Uh, Um, So getting away from solitary eating. Yeah, crumbs all over your belly. You're just like, ah, just eating it. Yeah. Exactly. You know, in this... um, in this class I did for Masterclass, um, we're looking at not just the health effects of food, although those are very important, but there are all these other effects. And that there are ways to align your eating with your values. And we all have different values. And some people, food is, is just going to be about health. But for other people, it's about their relationship to nature, for example. Um, you know, are they, are they eating organically or sustainably? Is that what matters to them? And for others, it's about ethics. Is this a way, do I feel comfortable eating animals or these animals? Um, uh, so there's a, there are moral and ethical questions that come. So much happens at the table. And, um, and my, and so where I came out thinking about this and preparing the class is there's no one right way to eat. Um, there's probably a right way to eat if health is your only concern. But if you're thinking about these other things, um, and eating for pleasure is a perfectly legitimate reason. Um, <laughs> right. It argues for slightly different kinds of food. Sure. Um, How does someone come up with their eating values? Well, that's a process of kind of self-inquiry. I mean, and we go through that in the class about like, so what really matters to you when you when you think about food? Um, 
you know, are you an, are you someone who thinks a lot about nature and climate change? There's a way to eat if you really want to, you know, make your contribution to reduce mm, climate change. There, there are foods that have a big climate footprint and foods that don't. Beef is the is of course the worst offender, um, and milk. Um, you know that that uh, that's a huge part of your climate footprint is is if you're a, a beef eater. Um, but maybe you're concerned about the health of the soil and, and, and the health. And what about social justice? The health of the workers in the food system? That argues for slightly different choices too. Yeah. What's great about food though is that we're not stuck with one choice. Uh, we now, we're very lucky because there are now, you know, there's organic food, there's conventional food, there's a, what's called regenerative food grown on very healthy soils that, um, we can, we have an opportunity to express our values by our food choices. Yes. That's a great vote to have, you know. Right. We're really lucky to have that vote because there wallet. are many parts of yeah. life we don't have that vote to make. Right, what are, you, yeah. what are your food values? Well, I think a lot about the environment. I started out as a writer writing about nature and gardening and, and so, and I'm very concerned about climate change and um, I don't know how you can not be, but a lot of us are not. And so that I, I think a lot about the environmental impact of, of what I eat. So I don't eat beef. Um, mm -hmm. I, I eat very little meat. I eat, mostly eat fish. Um, and I'm careful about that, too, because some fish is, you know, really unsustainably produced. Um, you know, some farm salmon is just horrible the way right. it's produced. Um, not, not just for the fish, but for the environment with lots of antibiotics. And I, I, I will choose organic when I'm buying plant foods. Uh, organic is not a perfect label, but it's the, one of the only labels that's monitored by the government. And so you know that if you buy organic food, it has not been grown with synthetic pesticides. Um, I'm particularly insistent on buying organic wheat products, um, whether that's pasta or bread. The reason being that it's become common practice in America to spray wheat fields with glyphosate, mm. which is an herbicide that has been linked to lymphoma. The farmers do, it's not allowed in Europe. Um, farmers, wow. farmers do it for the express purpose. They spray it on the wheat fields right before harvest to kill the wheat because the wheat has to be dry before you can harvest it. So it speeds up that process. It's a really irresponsible use of a pesticide. Why are there so many things in the, um, the American food system that don't happen in Europe, that are, are legal in other countries, Yeah, but here- Hormones in beef, for example. I mean, every, every non-organic beef uh, animal gets a hormone implant in its neck, and <sighs> then we wonder why girls are going through puberty early. I mean, we are exposing ourselves to lots of hormones uh, through, through our meat. And, um, and that's not allowed in Europe either. Uh, Europe has tougher environmental rules, um, especially around uh, food and cosmetics, believe it or not. There are chemicals in our cosmetics that uh, you, can't, you can't put in European cosmetics. Wow. Um, it's the power of the American food industry. It is dominant. Um, they control Congress. They control the agricultural committees. In, in, um, so there have been efforts to ban glyphosate. There have been efforts to, you know, get hormones out of beef, and the industry has stopped it. Um, wow. And, and the reason for that is we've allowed these industries to get so powerful and monopolistic um, that uh, we had a great example during the pandemic uh, when there were outbreaks of COVID in the meat plants in, uh, in the High Plains, uh, Tyson's meat plants. 
um, the local public health authorities, so many people were dying on those lines and they were bringing COVID into their communities. Local, the local health authorities wanted to close down the lines for two weeks and just quiet. This is right at the beginning of the pandemic. John Tyson, the president of Tyson, takes out an ad, in the full-page ad in the New York Times. Dear Mr. President, you need to invoke the Defense Production Act, which is designed to get companies to do things they don't want to do to help the war effort. We want you to invoke the Defense Production Act to force our workers back on the line. Come on. And within days, President Trump signed an executive order opening up the Tyson production lines. So when a when a company can force a president to do its bidding, you know an industry's gotten too powerful. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> this is crazy. What is the things that you've seen 10 years ago in the nutritional food world that people thought was the way? Science, you know, society thought this was the way that we now have new evidence and new science showing that that's not the way and there's something different that yeah. is the way. Is there anything that's changed in the last 10 well, or 20 the, years? The biggest seen? thing is something we talked about right at the, the beginning is, is, is ultra-processed food. Yes. And we didn't, you know, we, we'd heard for years that junk food was bad for us and we thought the reason was there was too, many, too much sugar, too much fat, too much salt. Yeah. It turns out it's not about the nutrients. It's about the processing itself and all the chemicals that are used. And this was, and, and that this is what's making us fat. Um, the processing itself, not the actual so sugar. There was a really cool experiment done at the National Institute of Health um, by a scientist who was very um, uh, skeptical of this theory that processed food was uniquely bad. And he was a great believer that, no, if you get the nutrients right, you'll be healthy. He got a group together. They, they lived in a facility, so he fed them for 30 days and uh, divided them into two groups, a, a control and not, and created two meals um, for every meal. One was um, substantially whole foods. The other was substantially ultra-processed food, like 80% ultra-processed food, matched for calories, right. matched for protein, salt, yeah. sugar, everything. And people in each group said, eat as much as you want. Um, or as little as you want, up to you. No control on, on caloric intake. Consumption, yeah. The people in the group with the ultra-processed food ate 500 more calories a day. So the way you prepare the food dictates how much you're going to eat. And, um, and that blew his mind. And he came around to the thesis that there is, we don't know exactly what it is, but there's something uniquely bad about that kind of food. Does it not make you feel full? Or does it make you still hungry or craving more? It could be that because it has so little fiber. It doesn't wow. fill you up in the same way. It could be the fact that it's absorbed really quickly in the body and not going through this long, you know, mm -hmm. microbiome processing in your body. I mean, when you process food, you're, you're essentially externalizing digestion. In other words, in, instead of eating things like plants or, or even, you know, real meat um, that hasn't been overly processed or turned into hamburger, your body has to work hard to break it down. You burn calories. Um, digesting is burning digesting, calories. Digesting, yeah. And, um, but as soon as you start doing this high-level processing and removing the fiber, um, you're creating food that your body can be very lazy about digesting. Oh. And so it's absorbed through the small intestine rather than the large intestine. 
And that may, that may explain it. It could also just be the, the science, this idea of lying to the body about what you're getting, fooling the body. Um, and it could be other effects in the microbiome. There's some evidence that um, emulsifiers, which we use to keep food, basically keep the oils and the waters from separating in processed food. Processed food would look even uglier than it does if, if not for these chemicals. Emulsifiers have, a, have damaged the lining of the gut um, and allow for um, large particles to get into the bloodstream, which leads to an immune reaction. So it may be that, that processed food inflames our bodies in ways okay. that are destructive. So wow. the science is still out on the cause, but we know the effect. The effect is you will eat a lot more food if you're eating ultra-processed food, and you will increase your risk of all sorts of chronic diseases. That's really clear. Uh, what do you feel like in 10, 15 years will be the new science that comes out <laughs> because it seems like there's always something new sure. being, you know, discovered or yeah. revealed. Where do you see the nutritional health world moving into in the next 10, 15 years of these other I, discoveries? I think we will continue to accumulate evidence that it's really simple. Eat food, not too much, mostly plants. I think that's going to hold up. I'll, yeah. I'll, put, I'll put money down on that. Mostly means, doesn't mean no meat, means some meat. Um, that, that word, that uh, adverb pissed off everybody because the vegetarians are like, why don't you go all the way and right. just say, eat plants? And the meat eaters were like, why don't you talk about meat? <laughs> no, mostly, let's be reasonable about that. Mm -hmm. I don't, I think we are going to learn that a traditional diet of real food um, is the best way to eat. And it's going to be yeah. really simple. And I think we have overcomplicated food and we have, and there's so many reasons to do it, right? I mean, um, you know, scientists want funding. Companies want to have a health claim. Uh, they need to churn, you know, there are 14,000 new food products every year. And a lot of them carry health 14, claims. 000? Isn't it amazing? 14,000 new 14, food products. 14,000 new food products every year. Oh my and gosh. most of them are like ridiculous extensions of something we have. You know, it's like an Oreo in the shape of a straw. You know, this, this is the that's kind crazy. of, that's innovation. And there's, and there's always an investor who wants to make money of a return yeah. on creating this product or this business or this company. And so they want- And the other economic incentive is that it's, it's not profitable selling simple food that comes off the farm. You make more money processing the food. The more value Packaging added, it, yes. it's the package, it's the health claim, but it's also the tricking it up and, and you know giving it new flavors and new colors. And uh, you know, I mean, think about how many different. Check out next time you're in the supermarket how many pop tarts there are and pop tart like products. It's just brand extension. So this is capitalism. Capitalism, you know, depends on novelty. The idea that you're going to eat simple foods that you prepare yourself. Who makes money on that? <laughs> I don't know. You got to be the egg business has got to be making money, right? I don't know, like eggs and you know, oh, yeah, no, apples they, are making business, but it's not like, as much though. Right. To give you an example, I think it's fourteen cents of your food dollar goes back to the farmer. It's <sighs> it's all the people in the middle who make the money, and, um, and farmers will tell you this, or, or people in the food industry. I'm sorry, not farmers will tell you that if you want to make money in food, it's not from growing it; it's from processing it. Wow! So we have a strong incentive to process food as much as possible. Plus you get, you know, you get something you can put a brand name on, right? You right. get, you have IP, you know, you have all this um, value added and the farmers get screwed. Crazy. Now, what is the main 
the master class that you have, what is the main benefit within the master class that people will, will get out of that when they go through it? Well, my hope is, I mean, I, the reason I did it, I had a couple of reasons I wanted to do it. One was, the, the, one of the great things about Masterclass is you get a lot of time. Mm-hmm. It's like a, I forget how long it is, but it's a two and a half or three hour class. So you can really go deep. Yes. And you don't always get to do that writing articles. Um, so I really appreciated that. Um, and the production values are yeah, uh, amazing. Seen, I mean, it's, seen some of the clips looks amazing. Well, they send you know they send a crew of like sixty people. <laughs> I know, it's I mean, crazy, it's like, right? It's, it's like, like a full movie production. Hollywood. Yeah, it is, it, and it looks like it. Yeah. Um, they make you look great. <laughs> um, but I just I, I'm I'm hyper aware because I get asked questions. I do a lot of public speaking of how confused people are about food, and they'll, they'll say to me. So should I buy the organic or the conventional or, or the regenerative or the humane? And you know, there are all these labels in the store. And, and we're, 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 we're tying ourselves up in knots about what should be a very simple transaction. And, you know, for most of human history, people have, like, known what to eat. They yeah. learned from their parents and they learned from what was available. Um, they didn't have to run all these complex algorithms to figure out what a product to buy. So I saw this as an effort to cut through a lot of nonsense about food, whether it's coming from the nutritionists or the marketers, and just like, let's look at this, let's take a fresh look, let's figure out what you care about, because I'm not going to tell you how to eat. It's, it's not, it doesn't have that kind of message. My, my message really is, tell me what you care about, and I'll tell you what to eat. Mm. And, um, and so we go through the various, you know, different... Um, getting clear, getting clear your food values, getting them, yeah. you know. Yeah, figure out what your food values are, and then here's how you might align them with what you're actually eating. Right. And so I'm hoping it'll relax people about food. I want people to come out of it, like, with their stress level around when they go to the supermarket down. I don't want them to have to read labels and, you know, do this all the time. So Yeah, yeah you talk a lot about intentional eating. You know, it's not just about mindless eating, but being very yeah. intentional about these food rules, these exactly these values that we create together. And I, and I really love the idea of getting back to the dinner table or getting back to the commune yeah. table with at least one person yeah. so that we can connect, we can slow it down, we can have more fulfilling conversations, feel more fulfilled spiritually and emotionally, but also nutritionally fulfilled yeah. in that process. Yeah. And I think that, you know, we've reduced food to this transaction between us and the stuff. But in fact, food is not a thing. It's a, it's a set of relationships. Mm. Food connects you to other people, as it has for all of human history. It's a communal act. But it also connects you to nature. Right? It's your most important connection to the natural world. You affect nature more through your eating than anything else you do. If you think about what agriculture does to nature, right? It's, it's the way we change the landscape more than anything else. It's the way we change the composition of species on the planet. The reason there are, you know, uh, 50 million head of cattle in the U.S. and only 5,000 wolves. It's because we like one and we don't like the other or the other is a threat to the one we like. And we affect the atmosphere. Um, you know, greenhouse gas production from the food system is about 33%. Um, really? Yeah. So, um, so there's a lot at stake when you sit down to eat. And I don't, but I want that to feel empowering, that you can actually vote. It's not a burden. Right. It's an opportunity. Right. So that's what I want to inspire people with, wow. to take their food choices as an opportunity to express their values. Wow. 
They can go to masterclass.com and check that out. If they search your name, they can get that at masterclass.com. Um, you've also got a number of, what do you got, seven, eight New York Times bestsellers now? What are you at, 12, something like, something that. like that, something crazy. Um, how to Change Your Mind has been a, you know, a, a phenomenon that's gone all over the, the world, talking about the psychedelics and the studies that you've done there. Uh, but the recent book is more about your mind on plants. This is Your Mind on Plants, where I look at three different psychoactives, um, one of which we're all involved with, caffeine. Mm. Almost all of us. Um, and people don't think about that as a drug, but it is a drug. And, and I think it's a very good drug in many ways. It's had a lot of positive effects for people. Although people, like all drugs, people can get in trouble on that. Mm -hmm. You talk about bringing chemicals into our body. We're doing it all the time. All the time. And, um, and so, so I look at caffeine, I look at opium, you know, we have such a big problem around opiates now. And I look at mescaline, which is a, a psychedelic that you don't hear as much about, but it's a really interesting substance that is Native Americans have been using to heal themselves for a very long time. Wow. What is the, uh, the pros and cons of coffee uh, that you talk about, that you've researched, that yeah. can truly benefit current health, lifespan, cognitive health, and also what are the cons of, ca of caffeine or coffee? Yeah. So caffeine is a powerful drug. Uh, I don't think people realize it, but most of us are have, a, have an addiction to it. Um, and I got off caffeine for three months. It was one of the hardest things I've ever done. <laughs> no caffeine, no chocolate, no tea, no coffee. And uh, I didn't feel myself for that whole time. You know, I got through the withdrawal, which you only took feel, a couple days. You didn't days. feel, I mean, grounded, or you didn't feel connected to yourself, or... I felt like I was someone else. Really? Um, and it made me realize that being caffeinated was my default state. It's like that was my normal. And I'd been drinking coffee since I was 10. I started oh, early. So about like 10 years, right? 10, 20 years now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a lot more than that, like 50 years. 50 years and drinking yeah, coffee. Yeah, Since day. you were 10, how did you start at 10? You know, I, I started like long, 35, you know. Yeah, like, I know. <laughs> I started early. Everybody said it would stunt my growth. It apparently didn't. It's all. Yeah. Maybe I would have been seven foot without <sighs> it. But, um, so I felt, you know, it was hard to do. I, I felt like I had acquired attention deficit disorder. I normally have very good focus. I can concentrate and like block things out. You need to to write. I couldn't write. Um, I without, just, without the, co the without coffee. Without the coffee. I, I just was, I, I found things came in from the periphery, you know, I got mm -hmm. easily distracted. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's why we take um, uh, amphetamines, you know, to deal with that. They give us, like caffeine, stimulants give us a focus. And I needed it. Um, so it was really hard. Um, and the first cup after three months. I was in May. <laughs> So, it was incredible. It was delicious, right? It was, <laughs> it was the best, it may have been the best drug experience I've ever had. Wow. Um, yeah, it was, so I, was, what the, I was euphoric. So, so now oh, you want to know benefits. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. So I looked into this. Um, there are a lot of health benefits to caffeine. Uh, Wait, caffeine I or coffee? That. Yes, it's coffee and tea have the health benefits. It may not be the caffeine. And the reason is that coffee and tea believe it or not, are the biggest source of antioxidants in the American diet. It's <laughs> pathetic, actually, but it's true. And so we don't know. Caffeine, we do know, improves performance. Uh, athletes will tell you that uh, on test taking, it, it improves performance. If you study for a test and drink caffeine after that, uh, after you've studied, you will remember the material and do better on the test. Wow. So it really does enhance mental function. Um, it has some physical benefits too. Uh, it reduces 
risk of certain kinds of cancers. It, um, it reduces risk of, of cardiovascular disease, um, Parkinson's disease, uh -huh. and uh, um, reduces risk of uh, dementia. Um, so it has a lot of benefits. The negatives are if it makes you really jumpy. You know, some people react badly to it or drink too much. Um, it reduces risks of suicide and depression up to seven or eight cups. If you're if you're drinking seven or eight cups a day, your risk of suicide and depression go way up. Seven cups a day is a, a lot. lot. Yeah. But people do. I know people who like are sipping it all day That's long. That's too much though, right? Seven yeah, cups is. a day, come on. The big negative on caffeine is it does interfere with good sleep. Even if you stop drinking it at noon, which is my practice, um, a quarter of the caffeine in your body is still circulating at midnight. It wow. lasts in your body a long time. So when should you stop coffee by? Well, at least by noon, but hopefully earlier. 10 a.m. maybe, yeah. Yeah, if you can. I mean, I go to noon because I, I sip it while I'm writing um, in the morning. Um, what happens with even people who can fall asleep, and there are people who can have an espresso at night and fall asleep, it's changing the quality of their sleep. They're mm. losing what's called slow wave sleep. You know, there's REM sleep, which is where you, when you dream, but there's a kind of very deep sleep called slow wave sleep, which is very important for your health. And caffeine reduces the amount of it you have. Mm. So um, I interviewed a bunch of sleep experts for the chapter on caffeine and none of them use caffeine. Uh, was it Michael Wa or Walker? Matthew Walker, Matthew Walker. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I don't know if he does now, but he, yeah, and he, he did a master class actually about yeah, sleep that's yeah. definitely worth checking out. And he said no caffeine. Yeah, and he's like against caffeine, but he's softened a little bit. Yeah, um, Huberman he, talks about, he has a cup of coffee, I think, I think early in the morning, but he's like, try to finish it as yeah. soon as you can, yeah. earlier in the day. Yeah. Um, Every day when you wake up, you are undergoing withdrawal. That's why you crave coffee. You know, the people who say, I can't talk to you until I have a cup uh -huh. of coffee. The reason is that for most of us, we're drinking coffee to head off those withdrawal effects. The caffeine just lasts long enough during the night that you don't wake up to oh. want coffee. But as soon as you get up in the morning, you want it. Um, so, you know, we are addicted. It, it, but addiction, you know, if you have a steady legal supply is not a terrible thing. Sure, sure. <laughs> yeah, not too much of it. Um, this is amazing. You've got a, you know, your website has so much research and, and articles and information. Well, I posted every article I've ever written there. Yeah. And it's available for free to anybody who wants. And that's michaelpollen.com. michaelpollen.com. Uh, so make sure, and I'm, you know, make sure you go sign up for your newsletter and be subscribed to everything you have there. What's the social media place you spend time on the most? Is there a, is there a platform of choice? I I use Twitter. Okay. Um, I use Instagram, but just in a kind of personal way. I just yep. post pictures I like that I've taken. Um, Twitter's more the research and the information that you have. Twitter's there. very useful for journalists. I mean, yeah. and so I'll uh, if I read something interesting, and it could be about health, it could be about food, it could be about psychedelics. I'll post it. You know, sometimes without comment, just hey, you should read Check this. Check it out. Yeah. Yeah. So I use it that way. I don't hold forth. I don't sure, offer sure, a lot of sure. opinions, but right. I, I just find it's a great way to share information. Wow. Um, what are you most excited about in your life right now? <laughs> what am 
am I most excited? Well, it's spring and we're about to start yeah. gardening. <laughs> yeah, um, nice. I'm a passionate gardener and, you know, we've had so much rain in California. So much. <laughs> it's, Today it's raining, you know. It's insane. And the, and the earth has been saturated and you can't, you don't want to mess with the earth when it's that wet. It's bad for it. So I'm really looking forward to starting a plant wow. and get my garden going. I grow vegetables and flowers and um, that's beautiful uh, and various psychoactives. Um, so yeah. that's cool. That's exciting. Yeah. Um, MichaelPollan.com, Masterclass.com. Check you out there. The books they can get it all at, at your website as sure. well for the books. Um, and again, you've got a, a number of New York Times bestsellers. So get multiple books. If you want to dive in more, this is a couple questions um, that I have left. This is a question I ask everyone at the end called the three truths. So imagine a hypothetical scenario. Mm -hmm. You've written a lot. You've researched a lot. You've had a ton of experiences. And imagine you get to live as long as you want, but eventually it's your last day. Right. It's not that long, drawn out death. It's a, it's a quick, healthy, right. you know, quick, <laughs> painless death. Um, and imagine you continue to live your life the way you want and achieving your dreams and connecting to people you care about and, and healthy, but it's the last day. For whatever reason, you've got to take all of your work with you. Every article, every book, every message, you know, the master class is gone. You know, everything has to go to some other place when you pass on. So for whatever reason, we don't have access to your content, your information, your wisdom, but you get to leave behind three final truths, three lessons from all of your experiences that you've learned that you would leave behind as kind of like, here are these wisdom, this wisdom. Um, what would be those three truths for you to leave behind? Yikes. Uh, I told you I didn't like to hear questions in advance. <laughs> Got to put you on the spot. <laughs> well, the first one would be to honor the plants. My whole career, I have been learning from plants about how to eat, about the mind. Mm. It's amazing what they have to teach us. And, you know, they don't speak loudly, but if you listen and you're curious, so honor the plants. That could mean growing them. It could certainly mean eating them. Um, this is a cliche. People often say that. No one goes to their deathbeds thinking, God, I wish I'd spend more time at work. Uh -huh. um, so honor your family, mm, um, your loved ones, your sisters. I don't have brothers. Your, um, although I have brothers-in-law, um, your, your partner, your child. Um, I think that we get caught up in things. And those are the relationships that matter at the end. And the other stuff doesn't. Um, third truth. I think one of the biggest problems we have is fear. I think we are closed off because we're afraid. We're afraid of trying new things. We're afraid of saying things. We're afraid of exposing our weakness. And um, overcoming fear, Yeah, I would say, that's so important. My father, who was a, um, a very wise person, or he got wise, he wasn't always, um, um, he had a. He was a lawyer, but he hated the law. But he liked helping people, and he had a. He had a clientele of people your age, uh, who he would help with their money issues. But their money mm -hmm. issues were always really family issues or right. relate, you know, or self worth issues. Yeah. I mean, all these kind of questions. And he would always say, you know, your biggest problem is between your ears. He would say, and it's your fear. 
and he was very good at getting people to like have faith in themselves, make the big move, change your career, quit mm. that job, buy that house, marry that person. And he was a kind of just do it person. And it usually worked out. Wow. And um, people, people spend a long time procrastinating because they're afraid of change. And so embracing change and overcoming fear, I would, mm. I would put number three. I love those. Yeah. Good. I don't know about the order. I haven't thought about the order, but yeah. those are the three that honor, came to me. Honor plants, honor your family, overcome your fears. I love it. I'm a big believer that self-doubt is the killer of all dreams. Yeah. We can have all the talent, but if we doubt ourselves, we're not going to act courageously. We're not going to take the risks. We're not going to say what we need to say, like you said. So we've got to learn what are those fears that, that yeah. cause us to yeah, doubt it's very, ourselves. Self-doubt is very much the, yeah. the root of fear. Before I ask the final question, I would acknowledge you, Michael, for your continuous journey to seeking wisdom, truth, uh, knowledge, lessons to, to help people. You know, you've been on this journey for a long time and you keep showing up. You keep showing up in service to the process, to the journey of discovery and to sharing the process with us so that we can try to understand this, this world in a more harmonious, integrous way. Thank so you. I really acknowledge you for your humility, your service, your commitment to being of service with your mission. It's really inspiring. Um, my final question for you is what's your definition of greatness? Oh, I should have seen that coming. <laughs> I think you've just given it. Um, I think it is your willingness to give it away, to help mm. other people, to help people transform their lives. Yeah. I, I, I think transformation is like so key and, um, and we, we get so stuck. Um, so for me, you know, my work, I didn't set out with mission, a mission to like heal people or to change their minds. I, I set out with a mission to follow my curiosity. Mm. And then I found stuff that, oh, people need to know about this. Yeah. This is not what they thought. And th that's exciting to me when I find that out. Yeah. Um, when I, you know, spent a year studying nutrition and realized, oh, I can, all you need are these seven words. And, and I just wanted to give them to everybody. Um, so um, I think that idea of uh, putting your work in the service of other people is very powerful to me. It makes mm. me feel like I'm not being self-indulgent when I'm sitting there alone writing all day long. Right. That maybe it will have an effect on the world. I feel very lucky that I've had two phases in my, my writing life where I produced books that change the conversation I, you know if, if you do that once in a lifetime you feel pretty good but this happened with food and it's happening now with psychedelics yeah. and um i don't know what the next one will be but um and i don't know why that is um because i'm saying things that other people know um and and that in some ways are pretty obvious and it comes when right. it comes to food but um sometimes the obvious is very powerful I hope today's episode inspired you on your journey towards greatness. Make sure to check out the show notes in the description for a rundown of today's show with all the important links. And if you want weekly exclusive bonus episodes with me as well as ad-free listening experience, make sure to subscribe to our Greatness Plus channel on Apple Podcast. If you enjoyed this, please share it with a friend over on social media or text a friend. Leave us a review over on Apple Podcast and let me know what you learned over on our social media channels at Lewis House. 
Cows. I really love hearing the feedback from you and it helps us continue to make the show better. And if you want more inspiration from our world-class guests and content to learn how to improve the quality of your life, then make sure to sign up for the Greatness Newsletter and get it delivered right to your inbox over at greatness.com slash newsletter. And if no one has told you today, I want to remind you that you are loved, you are worthy, and you matter. And now it's time to go out there and do something great. Human nature can get a little messy, but nature nature is powerful enough to save us from ourselves. Seventh generation laundry detergent lifts away tough stains with a 97% bio-based formula. For when you think whipping up yellow curry chicken in white pants is a great idea, totally not speaking from experience. Let nature do its thing so you can feel confident doing yours. That's the power of 7th Generation. Find 7th Generation laundry detergent and fresh lavender and other scents at 7thGeneration.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.